You're listening to Let's Talk About Skills, baby. I'm Kelly Ryan Bailey, and this season we're talking all about the great resignation. The global pandemic disrupted so much for so many, and one of the largest effects has been on where, when, why, and how we make a living. We're taking a look at why people have been shifting jobs, paths, and careers at such an accelerated rate, and how leaders from different industries are navigating this challenging time. Hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, skills nerds. With me today is Vaughn Tone Quinlevin. Vaughn is the CEO of Futuro Health, podcast host of Workforce RX, and best-selling author of her newly published book, Workforce RX. Congratulations on your book, Vaughn, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Kelly. It's a joy to join you today. Oh, that's so nice of you. Well, first of all, I want to pause before we jump in and just give a little like, I'm going to clap. I know this might sound loud to everybody, but congratulations on this book because I am sure that that was quite an endeavor and you know, it is just amazing to have that out in the world. Writing a book turned out a lot uh, more challenging than I thought, but it's great to have another item checked off my bucket list. (laughs) How wonderful. (laughs) So let's start off with what led you to Futuro Health and why do you do what you do? Well, Kelly, you know, my, my career in workforce development has spanned the private sector, the public sector, and now the nonprofit sector here at Futuro Health. But it all goes very, very far back why I do the work that I do. In 1975, my family escaped from the Vietnam War. And I was a child of maybe about age six at that time. And when we came to the U.S., you know, my father had been a neurosurgeon, which is sort of an alpha of the the world of doctors. And my mother had been a teacher back in Vietnam. And in Vietnamese culture, that was also a very prestigious job. And when both of them came to the United States, they really just had to start from scratch and had to enter different occupations just to make you know ends meet. And interesting enough, as I grew up, they never expressed any regrets or bitterness about the escape from Vietnam and the, the family having to, to restart. Instead, they were always grateful about the opportunity that it created for us. And so I feel the work that I've been doing in workforce development has been to pay forward that opportunity to others. When I was at a a big 20,000-person energy company, I was able to bring that company from having no opinion in workforce development to becoming a nationally recognized best practice. Uh, I was appointed by the governor after that to drive the workforce mission of the California Community Colleges, which is the largest higher education system in the nation, with over 2 million students and, and really brought a lot of investment, growing investment, public investment in workforce programs so that students can have more effectively land in the workforce, um, growing that from about $100 million to over a billion dollars. And then I've been asked to take on this opportunity right here, which is how do you grow the next generation of healthcare workers in the allied health field? So if you take out the doctors and the administrators, you know, 65% of the frontline workers of, of healthcare is in the allied health field. That's a really powerful story. And I'm so excited to dig into a little bit more about Futuro Health. But before we do, I did have one quick question. What is the top skill that helped you on your journey to becoming a CEO? Well, you know, in in context of the the large resignation, I think I had my soul searching a little bit earlier on in my career. And what I needed to do was to really make 
my avocation, my vocation. And that's a difficult journey. So what I found when I was in the high-tech sector was that I was spending all my time, my spare time, my restful time, opening up education policy journals and magazines. So I, I would be flipping that all day long instead of reading tech journals. And I think that over time, that that was an indicator of where my true interest was. And I do have formal training with a double master's uh, MBA and also a master's education policy, but I wasn't using education policy at that time. So it became a journey for me to figure out how to marry my avocation and my vocation, but where would I focus in terms of education? And back then, no one cared about the community colleges from a public policy But a friend invited me to come into the classroom because he said he was tired of hearing me talk about education, uh, but I didn't know where to get started. And he said, you know, why don't you just come into my community college classroom and teach? And when I entered the classroom, there were roughly 50 students, and I only saw five white faces in there. And it occurred to me that California's workforce would come through the community colleges more so than even the four-year system. And that began my journey of volunteering, of researching, of having conversations, of serving on uh, committees and boards to build up my uh, credibility. And I did that while I was, a, uh, I took a few years off of corporate life. And that's what I did as well as teaching in the classroom. And that began my journey to begin marrying my avocation and vocation, which is really hard to do uh, because you actually have to give up, you know, how you perceive yourself at one point in order to really begin the shift to become who you could be. I feel like this advice is going to so resonate with some people that are you know, going through this shift that we are going through right now after this pandemic. So thank you for sharing that. So with this big shift that's been happening right now, uh, some have coined the term, the great resignation, but sort of put healthcare in this light, right? Um, It's in the forefront of our minds. And that is what Futuro Health is working on. You mentioned you're solving the healthcare workforce shortages. So how do you do that? Interestingly enough, Kelly, the Atlanta Federal Reserve and McKinsey and Company were doing studies on, you know, where are the good jobs across all of the states? And no matter which state it turned out, healthcare is one of those industries that is providing pathways to good jobs. So Futuro Health is uh, squarely as a nonprofit serving that need. How do we connect people with the right skills into these good jobs? And we started in a very simple way. I mean, we started with first an investment, an unusual investment of allies, which is Kaiser Permanente, a big healthcare system, and a union, SEIU United Healthcare Workers. They have 100,000 members who all work in hospitals. And through a collective bargaining process, they decided they're going to put $130 million to grow the next generation of workers and credential them. And thus, Futuro Health was born. What we're doing is trying to chip away at these very, very large numbers. Uh, So, for example, there's a shortage of 500,000 allied health workers in just California alone. So roughly 2.3 million across the country. And uh, most of these careers can be accessed through education that requires less than a bachelor degree. And as I'm sure all of the audience would agree with me, you know, when we're sick or when we have family that's sick, we certainly want our share of healthcare workers in our backyard, right? The pandemic has really shed light on that. 
And so how do you begin chipping away at a number so big in California with 500,000? Well, one option we had with the monies um, that was our seed capital was, hey, we can become an accredited institution and go that path. But what, what I saw was that that path, that strategy would be too slow. We needed to solve things at scale. We needed to solve it in an inclusive way, and we needed to solve it in an agile way. Because just like every everything else affected by the pandemic, the skill sets shifted overnight in the pandemic. Right? Uh, you were going to, into your doctor or the hospital for your medical appointment, and overnight, you couldn't anymore. Everything shifted to uh, virtual rooming for you to go see your medical practitioner or your doctor, right? So there was a technology element to how care was being delivered that was driven by the pandemic. So agility was so important. So what we did was instead of trying to be an accredited institution, we instead uh, became the builder of an ecosystem of partners that we curated. So they were all quality partners. And then different partners had different core strengths. So there are a number of partners who are education partners. And what they do best is provide quality programs that led to healthcare credentials in occupations that we cared about. And then there are uh, student success partners. There's recruiting partners. So it's building this ecosystem of the willing and undergirding all of that with an infrastructure of data science so that we could customize and target the experience and the student journey so that students can be successful. And, you know, Kelly, what's great is that our average age of student is 30. So we're effectively serving adult students at a moment in time when the rest of the country across the board, there's like an 11% decline in community college enrollment, almost 5% decline in university, four-year enrollment. So Adults are very reticent to get onto, uh, uh, they're shying away from uh, degree attainment at this moment in time, but they're willing to build their skills. So being, you know, being able to effectively resonate with, with the adult population and then creating a journey that brings them back into education is uh, so important right now. And Futura Health is delighted that we can do it. We also have like 76% diversity and around 35% bilingual. So clearly working to build a workforce reflective of the communities that we're trying to serve. Wow. I'm just like blown away by the numbers that you just shared and hearing the percentages that have reduced in other areas of education and where you guys have been so successful. I wonder, is this because of the shorter term nature of the program? Well, as I mentioned, if you look at the the Gallup polls that have been released by uh, the Strata Center for Consumer Insights, again, you know, adults are not in the mood to pursue degrees because things are changing so fast, but they are willing to skill up. And there's a new norm where we need to constantly upgrade our skills. It's not just whatever we can get early in our lives, but we're going to we're going to be challenged to keep up with the rate of change. And so we have to design on ramps that build the confidence of adults. So many of the adults that we work with have very, very complicated lives. They may not have had a, a, a dynamite experience with education in the first go round. And so bringing them back into education 
in an adult-friendly way is super important. They may not have ever tried online educations, even hybrid educations. So that's very intimidating. So how do you tiptoe adults back into that process? And then they have a lot of complicated life circumstances, especially last year. My goodness, these our students called in. It's like, They're now living out of their car because the fires in California rendered them homeless. And then, of course, the pandemic, it's, you know, their family members became sick or passed away or they were also sick. And that's over above the normal life situations of, you know, care for your children or getting pregnant and that deterring your your education. So getting the family in shape through an on-ramp into education that is designed specific for adult we found as an effective strategy. Wow. Yeah, those stories are, I mean, I can only imagine, and especially in the world that they were, you know, trying to go into in terms of healthcare and all of the changes that were happening on top of it. So you talked a, a moment ago about the technology, sort of like that being one of the big changes through the pandemic for healthcare workers. As soon as we had to see this virtual, you know, my virtual doctor's appointment. Besides technology and that agility, what are the other top three skills for healthcare workers now after, you know, that you've learned throughout the pandemic? So in the past, you can go into uh, healthcare or medicine, for example, to become a doctor because you were interested in being in service to others, right? You were interested in the clinical skills. And frankly, you needed also the kind of the human touch interpersonal skills. And those were the primary reasons or drivers of, of your success in healthcare. But if you talk to doctors and other healthcare practitioners now, what has happened is that the technology aptitude is becoming a factor. One of the biggest complaints post, you know, months into the pandemic is that both doctors and nurses and all the others who are supporting the patient spending a lot of time on tech support. Because if you can't get your Zoom up and and working or or the data feeds working, then they can't deliver that care. So comfort with technology is a new set of skills. And then the third area is actually data. You know, imagine how much data can be obtained on you through your mobile devices. And then that data would then from your home be exported to a doctor or someone, an analyst somewhere else in a different location, and your care team is looking at that data. So so now all of a sudden, it's not just about whether Kelly feels comfortable in the interactions with me, and I have the expertise to do that. I have to be able to read Kelly's data from afar. And that may be a new member, not only a new member of the care team, who's really good in interpreting the data, but I also have to have some minimum literacy dealing with this type of new world of patient care. Yeah. I wonder, you know, we all tend to think of healthcare in the term in the large scale hospitals, right? I mean, how is this affecting? I'm thinking, gosh, even hospitals are struggling right now in terms of the amount of staff that they need with these specialized skill sets. How is this affecting though these smaller or medium-sized doctors' offices, the individual practices? Is that anything that kind of falls into the work that you're doing? So one of the biggest trends, you know, that happened during the pandemic was, you know, we all closed our offices and everybody went home. Well, companies from all types of industries, their CEOs began looking at that big 
cost line item, which is facilities, and began to wonder, hmm, do I really need to have these large investments in rent and facilities? And it's no different for healthcare providers. Hospitals are very expensive. So, you know, one of the areas you can expect more movement is how do you do care in the home, right? How do you move more of that care to the home? Now, imagine the skill set that it takes for someone to provision that care. All of a sudden, you're not only doing those clinical skills, right? So, you know, what is traditional healthcare skills? Now you also need like geek squad skills, right? To be able to to troubleshoot all the various devices that actually help, you know, you can measure all sorts of things. Now they can just ship you a whole box with all these things that collect your data. And then the third is there's a, a cultural competence element. Now you're like, you know, traipsing around in somebody's home with all those dynamics of being in someone's home. That combination of skill is very difficult to come about. Clinical for one, crossover with tech support, and then you have the cultural competence. So you you could imagine with that without some intentionality in growing that workforce, the whole industry, whether it's, you know, mom and pop doctor's office to large hospitals are going to find themselves really struggling with having workers who can do this skill set. That's really fascinating because I, of course, I wasn't even thinking of that as being sort of, but there's so much more changes, I think, afoot, it sounds like, than we're, we've even experienced yet. And I, I, I guess that that's not even surprising on one hand, right? <laughs> So let's transition over into the book. Such a fabulous, fabulous book. Why a book? Why now? It was time to write the book because the numbers, the numbers. If you look at the front page of the Washington Post, it talked about 10.9 million open jobs, while there's 8.4 million unemployed Americans. So how can you have that many workers looking for work and that many employers looking for workers, you know, where is the friction in between that's not creating a match? So I believe at this moment in time, we just need all hands on deck, all parties, whether you're an employer, whether you're an educator, a public policymaker, a citizen, all of us need to have all hands on deck to match workers with the right skills for the right jobs. How I structured my book, which is entitled Workforce Rx, Agile and Inclusive Strategies for Employers, Educators, and Workers in Unsettled Times, is really around a set of challenges and solutions. So 10 chapters, 10 challenges and solutions. The first chapter is making the fire hose and the garden hose work together. You know, it answers the question of many employers, like, why doesn't education deliver the workers that I need? And one of the fundamental dynamics is that education is a fire hose that blasts out like graduates at 25 at a time, because if, if it's, you know, if the enrollment is less than 15, they have to actually cancel the class, right? There's a scale that they have to work with. But employers, they drip out jobs onesie, twosie, threesie at a time. 
And so how do you actually begin to match the garden hose and the fire hose so that the two can work together? And so solving that kind of problem, there are ready-made strategies and people do not have to start from scratch. And the other big misconception for employers, but actually all parties, is that they have to do it on their own. There is a whole network of partners, whole network of resources, and key is to do what you do best and to do this work with other partners. It's really a team sport rather than an individual sport. First of all, I love that analogy of the hoses <laughs> I'm picturing. I think it's just such a great way to put this, but also I, I think such a fantastic call out that this is not something that has to be done alone. You know, you talk about something called the three-legged stool. What is that? Can you describe it for us? So Kelly, you know, if an employer is able to transact for a talent, for example, put a posting up and they get what they need, then there's no need to do workforce development. It's only when the talent pool is shallow and you're doing what I would consider posting and praying because you're unsure there's, there's the diverse pool on the back end or there's a, you know, a quality pool on the back end or a diverse and quality pool on the back end. That's when you actually want to begin to do workforce development because there's intentionality involved and it does take either time, resources or both. And again, most companies make the mistake of thinking that they have to do it all alone. Rather, the effective workforce development model is one that is, I, I, you know, I call the three-legged stool. The first leg is the employer. And the role of the employer is not to do everything, but to focus on what do they need and articulating those hiring requirements and then hiring. The second leg is really a community-based organization or a public workforce agency who can do a much better job going out into communities and sourcing the candidates against the specifications of the employer, including diversity. So for example, uh, when I was back in a, a company, the partner that worked with me from the, the community-based organization like she would meet with individuals at the food court at the shopping mall, for example, because it was less intimidating for these individuals to meet there than to come to some formal, you know, building that could be very intimidating. And we were, she was able to source for us much more diversity. And the third leg is really the education. And the role of the educator is to close the gap between where the candidate pool is and what the employer is needed. For example, in working with Fresno City College, they designed a three-month curriculum where they took the candidates through a set of academic curriculum in order to be ready for a pre-employment test. And where most candidates ended up weak was actually in spatial reasoning. So they added quite a bit of curriculum around spatial reasoning so that the workers were more prepared. The other part that my company needed, because these jobs were very physical job, was physical conditioning. We had all these veterans in there. You would think they wouldn't need physical conditioning, but they brought the equivalent of a PE teacher, a coach, and they designed not only a set of exercises, but then they had everyone play soccer on a regular basis to improve their cardio condition. And um, as a result, they were able to close the gap. Now, I would love to just tell what I call the, my fish story on why you need the three-legged stool. So we did all this when I was at my company of 20,000 because we were facing imminent retirement of 25 to 50% of our frontline workforce. 
And that's the workforce that, you know, in the middle of the night, if your power line goes down, this is the workforce that would be deployed to restore your, your power line. So very important, just like healthcare. So we did the three-legged stool, and then we had the graduates go through the exact identical pre-employment screens, right? So no, no special processes at that point. Well, there was one a young man whom the supervisors interacted with, and we all thought he would be a great fit for the company. And for some reason, after the pre-employment screens, he dropped off the list. And it was only because we were in this intentional workforce development program and learned about him that we you know, raised the question, well, what happened to Aleki? It turns out when Aleki was 15 years old, he had gone fishing and caught a fish that was too small. That resulted in a ticket, which he did not pay. Not surprising, I have a teenager as well. And that ticket went to court. He did not show up in court. That became a felony. Aleki was carrying a felony on his record, and he did not even know it. He would have been precluded from every significant energy sector job. And no employer would pause to say, hey, Aleki, you have something on your record because they would just send the postcard of, hey, thank you, but we've had other better qualified candidates. So in this case, because we were in this workforce development program, we then asked our community partner to look into it, to work with the individual, to expunge their record, and then we were able to hire him. And all was good after that. But that's an example of, of uh, sort of hidden talent a uh, talent that may have gone through the crack, and it's only because we had the three-legged stool where we each did what we do best, and the company did not have to do that work, but the partners readily were willing and able to do that work that we were able to tap into that talent pool. So that's an ex example of why the three-legged stool is so powerful as a workforce development model. That's such a beautiful story because you just, you, you know, I'm sure we can all imagine times and especially now when folks are not being hired because of, you know, various barriers that are in place. So you mentioned, you know, with this three-legged stool, at least in my experience, it has traditionally been difficult to create these kinds of partnerships, especially between employers and higher education. Do you have tips, like at least like a short, like besides go and buy the book because everyone should, do you have a couple of tips that you can share with us that might make that easier? You know, when I first started in education, there was a big gulf between education and employers, almost education keeping employers at bay. But at this moment in time, given the state of the country and even all the updates in public policy, there's really a call for bringing the two worlds together to work effectively together. And, and there are many strategies outlined in the book that led to this moment in time. Now, large employers, they have the HR department, they have the resources to be able to do this workforce development. Probably harder would be what, what can the small and medium employers do? And here, I, I think once again, just like I've mentioned, there's an ecosystem of the willing. Consider what is it that you could do together that you can't do alone. So what we found was that, for example, in Fresno, the Central Valley area of California, but also the Inland Empire of California, small manufacturers were struggling with their workforce needs. But on their own, they couldn't do much. So 
how do you then begin aggregating, building up to alliances and industry sector councils where you're amassing volume between the needs of individual employers so that collectively you can match the fire hose, right? Basically, you're you're adding up all the garden hoses in order to match the volume needed by education to produce a fire hose. That has been very effective in a number of areas, and it should be by industry, the themes and commonalities within industry. So aggregating employers, especially small, medium employers, to do that work together. And then on the education side, no one education institution, no one organization can solve all the problems. Each institution has different interests, competencies, and resources. So together, which players can step up for that particular need. And so it's it's really like a marketplace between education and within employers. And as an employer, you just need to know that there are more and more institutions in your backyard than you may think. Like in the Bay Area, there's actually 28 community colleges, not the one that's nearest to you, but 28. That's just community colleges alone. So think about all the education resources that are physical, but also virtual, which has been, you know, exponentially grown during the pandemic. And between all of that, you can get the education solutions that you want. And this is one of the the strategies that Futura Health has really leveraged. You know, when we were trying to skill up existing healthcare workers for telehealth skills, we actually looked around the whole country and we found a program that was tested, tried and true and fully online in University of Delaware we brought that to California. So I think this is a very challenging moment in time for higher education because people are not looking just to the backyard, but all around the nation for what are good solutions. That's really, I mean, honestly, just amazing. I love that story of just looking, you know, sort of thinking outside of the box in terms of what resources you can pull from. It doesn't only have to be in your backyard. I think that's a really strong point. So I know we're coming close to the end of our time here today, Vaughn. And, you know, I, I love to leave with one sort of personal question. And, and I'd love to hear over this time of the pandemic, you know, what is the one thing that you've learned that's been most surprising or inspiring to you? Oh, that's a hard one. Like everybody, I found that we could actually do more things collaboratively and virtually than, you know, I think any of us thought. On the other hand, you know, 18 months plus into the pandemic, wow, when we got together back in in a, a in-person retreat of my team, we got so much done in person as well. So I, I think it has magnified sort of the value of the fully virtual, but also the fully in-person for me. That's great. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for sharing more about Futuro Health and your new book. If you guys are interested in Vaughn's book, again, the full title, Workforce Rx, Agile and Inclusive Strategies for Employers, Educators, and Workers in Unsettled Times. It is available on Amazon. We're going to link it within the, the podcast and on the website. You can also follow Vaughn on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Workforce Vaughn, that's V-A-N. And if you're interested in learning more about Futuro Health, head over to futurohealth.org. Is there anywhere else that you like to hang out on social media, Vaughn, that we should know about? I believe if they are interested in staying up to date with thought leaders who are 
working to future-proof our workforce. Anywhere they listen to podcasts, please look up Workforce Rx, and that's a podcast that I host. Thank you so much for reminding me. I almost forgot to mention that. Yes, definitely go and check out the podcast. I also listen to that podcast, by the way, so I love it. But thank you again so much for joining us. I hope you all have a wonderful day. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for tuning in to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, a Growth Network podcast production. If any part of this episode resonated with you, we would love for you to share it with a friend or colleague who might feel the same. Feel free to reach out to me at Kelly Ryan Bailey on social and learn more about the great events and initiatives we have coming up at skillsbaby.com. Thanks again for spending some time with me. And most importantly, have a great day.